like for example the fact that we're in a podcast right now what yeah oh, yeah is that i don't know i didn't read that on tumblr can you reblog it and then sure I'll... here it is right here we're on the trade waiters everybody i need a buzzfeed listicle <laughs> <laughs> five reasons so that there are five things to let you know that you're in a trade waiters podcast yeah but how many okay can you can you explain it to me in gifts they need to be harry <laughs> potter specific yeah. i can i can do that <laughs> Tumblr will will help me out with that. We should make a quiz. Which trade waiter are you? <laughs> oh, <laughs> make like a personality test. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to the trade waiters, everybody. Uh, the Trade Waiters is a podcast where we read comics and then we talk about them and you can pretend that you're one of the people talking about the book because you've read this book. Today's episode is going to be Tech on Kincrete by Taiyo Matsumoto. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that book in a minute, but first things first, we need to have a spoiler warning. <coughs> Spoilers. So the... Uh, spoiler warning is to let you know that we have read this book cover to cover, and if you have not read this book cover to cover, then you will find out everything that happens very shortly. So read the book and then come back. Or don't, and then just be accepting of the fact that you know how it ends. And if you read this book cover to middle, then some of what we say will be surprising. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I was watching a, I don't know informational web video the other day which said that spoilers might actually enhance your experience of the work hmm mm. i think i think in in moderation okay spoilers in moderation yeah but yeah. we're gonna we're gonna fully spoil it yeah it'll yeah. be completely spoiled and inedible yeah. <laughs> inedible <laughs> well you know we kind of left it out overnight didn't vacuum seal it <laughs> okay uh so next thing is we're going to have a character revealing question this is something we do every time so that you can find out a little bit more about who these people are who are talking at you right now. Jonathan is opening the envelope. Yeah. Uh, today's... I need a drum roll, please. Today's character revealing question is... Apart from Vancouver, where in the world feels most like home to you? Uh, we have to leave out Vancouver because I assume everyone is going to say Vancouver in at least their top two. So if you can't pick Vancouver... Where could you pick that would feel like home? Oh, this is so easy. <laughs> easy for Kathleen. Kathleen, you can start. Um, the uh, sort of sort of the Lee Side area, um, the Mount Pleasant Cemetery in Toronto, uh, or Meaford and Rockland, Ontario, because <laughs> those are all places I grew up. Okay, and, and, <laughs> and are very specific. heavily steeped in nostalgia for me. Who who are you? Oh, I'm Kathleen Gross, whatever. Not just some random Torontonian? Yeah, ew, gross. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Jeff. Okay, uh, so I am Jeff Ellis. And, um, well, uh, I'm, I'm a very rare creature in that I was actually born in Vancouver. So that is my home. We found and one, guys. <laughs> it's really hard to think of... Uh, not Vancouver place that I would consider home because this is my home, but I would then probably say that my my other home would be in Kofu, Japan, where I lived for two and a half years, 
And so that that is kind of my my home away from home. Angela. Uh, hi, I'm Angela Mullick. Uh, I did not grow up in Vancouver, although it has become my home. Uh, but the place, it's funny because I jumped around a lot when I was young. So I've lived in a number of different places. Even when I was staying in one location, I would jump from house to house, from school to school. So I kind of have a transient upbringing. Uh, but the place, funny, funnily enough, the place that feels the most like a second home to me is not a place I ever actually lived. My grandmother lives in Brooklyn, New York. And no matter where we lived in the world, we would always go back to Brooklyn, New York to visit my grandparents. And it's a place that has a lot of family history for me. Uh, a lot of my relatives live there. My great-grandfather bought that house and lived there for a time. So Brooklyn, New York is what feels the most like a second home to me. Okay. Uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton, um, and I don't actually live in Vancouver. I live on the other side of the bridge. You have to pay a toll to get here. Uh, and so I can't really claim to be a Vancouverite, uh, although I like to pretend that I am because I live in Abbotsford and I feel absolutely no attachment to Abbotsford whatsoever. Uh, but the fish, John! The giant brick fish! Yeah, there is a giant brick fish in Abbotsford. I feel a, a slight attachment to that, but otherwise, no. Well, to be fair, you know, if you were to talk to anyone outside of British Columbia, they would just, uh, they would tell you you are from Vancouver. Yeah. The same way that everyone who is from Ontario is from Toronto. They're not, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I would say that of all the places I've lived, and I've lived in a few places, I lived in London, I lived in Taiwan, I lived in Ohio, probably Victoria still feels the most like mm -hmm. home, if not Vancouver. Uh, I went to high school in Victoria, I went to university in Victoria twice, uh, my parents live in Victoria, I know the neighborhoods pretty well, so I'm going to have to say Victoria is the most home-like place until I can actually live on this side of the bridge. That's going to be our next Kickstarter. Get Jonathan on the other you side of the bridge. You can't use Kickstarter for that. Oh, it'll be a GoFundMe then. Oh, yeah. That'll work. GoFundMe <laughs> <laughs> over the bridge. <laughs> I could write a song and everything. <laughs> I won't sing for you. Don't worry. Not right now. Like, you have to that's, wait that's how it works. We pay so that you don't sing at us, right? Oh. We could finally have a fundraiser that's called the Jonathan. Oh my god! <laughs> okay. Um, Alright, so uh, Kathleen, can you tell us about Tech on Kincrete? Sure. Um, Tech on Kincrete uh, is by Tai Matsumoto. And Matsumoto is a Japanese manga artist. Um, and uh, this is probably his best-known work in the West, although he's quite prolific and has a long list of um, series and books that he's worked on. A sampling of his comics includes um, Ping Pong, which was published in 1996 and was also adapted into both a film and an anime. I walked in on my roommate watching the anime and I was like, is that the, is that the Tech of Kingcrete guy? Um, it, it's very funny. It's um, about high school ping pong. Um, but in this like weird, surreal, grotesque style that uh, Matsumoto draws in. And then um, he also had the Gogo Monster, number five, and most recently, um, Sunny. Uh, I have only read Tech on Kingcrete by him, but after reading this book, I really want to read more of his work. Um, this book, Tech on Kingcrete, was originally published uh, in the early 90s, between 1993 and 94, in um, three sort of chapter volumes. 
The title comes from a mispronunciation of the word tekken concreto, uh, which is steel reinforced concrete. Um, in 2006, it was adapted into an animated film, which um, I encountered the comic first, and I actually haven't seen the film, but many of my friends that I talked to about reading this comic uh, were like, oh, there's a comic? I've seen the film. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And this book is about uh, two orphaned sort of street urchin boys named Black and White um, in this fictional city called Treasure Town, and it's sort of about them struggling to protect uh, themselves and their city from um, the encroaching Yakuza. And um, the setting is surreal, the kids are almost supernatural, and ultimately the story is about the boys' relationship to each other and the balance they need to create between themselves in order to continue functioning. Mm -hmm. um, Good well said. Um, I uh, also was just going to mention, because I don't think you were in town when this was happening, but um, we had a display of comic art at the Vancouver Art Gallery, that was curated by Art Spiegelman and uh, Chris Ware. And they had a section specifically for manga that was outside of the North American comics. And um, they did manga and anime. And so Tech on Concrete was one of the featured uh, artists on display for the manga and anime section of the mm. show in the art gallery. Oh, oh. I'm sad I missed that. So I think that happened before that. I moved here. Yeah, it was, um, I think you missed it by maybe a year. A year or two, yeah. yeah. Yeah, something twenty. Yeah, it was two thousand nine or two thousand. Oh, okay, yeah, I moved yeah. here like twenty eleven or twenty twelve. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, he was I, also Matsumoto was at um, I think twenty fourteen TCAF. Oh, okay. Which oh, I didn't realize. Which cool. I kind I was of. Was at that one. I totally. But I know I was at that one too, and I missed that. Huh. Yeah, I think oh, I was reading some but, interviews. But yeah, I, um, <laughs> yeah, you right. Can't even like you're trapped behind your table at TCAF. Yeah, it's almost like. Well, even being there <laughs> as just like, an attendee like buying comics it's so massive which is amazing yeah but like i feel like i never get to go to panels there because i'm like i'm trying to like support these people's work and like get my stack of comics yeah but, and it's ironic oh. because if you go there to table you're arguably one of the most passionate people about that yeah space, and you're like so close you're like a hair's a hair's breadth away from all this amazing stuff happening and you're chained to your uh, table. It's like some kind of torture. Well, also, just the fact that Chris Butcher can get, he's the organizer of TCAF, that he can get so many amazing people from overseas. I don't know any other convention yeah. in North America that actually brings in cool. uh, artists from Japan. Yeah, like, they, that's pretty exclusive. They send a ambassador like battalion every year where, like, Chris and his friends go on a trip to Japan and that their specific mission beyond Chris getting to, like, have his weekly, or his year, yearly uh, pilgrimage to Japan um, and, and eat ramen. Also, it's to, like, recruit, like, manga artists for the show. Like, they've been doing outreach trying to make that happen. Hmm. And that's why they successfully got themselves invited to a manga show uh, going the other way. That's why I went with them to the, um, the uh, International Manga Festival in Tokyo that one year was um, because they made so many inroads back and forth for comic exchange. Hmm. Exciting times we live in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Maybe we should talk about this book, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's hear everyone's first reactions. I chose this, so I'll sit back and listen while you let me know. <laughs> All right. Uh, I really like this book. It took me a while to get into it. Like, the first part of the book, it was uh, kind of heavy going. It's very dense. It's sometimes hard to figure out exactly what's going on, but it's definitely a book that provokes thought. 
you have to think hard at this book to understand it, but it's worth it. It's uh, really amazingly drawn. The, the comic skill, I mean, we'll get into this later, but the, the way that this comic is put together is amazing. There's so many little things that uh, he'll do in one page or one panel where it's just mind-blowing, and then he never does it again. Just like one off, like there you go. You see that? Huh? You didn't miss that, did you? Because I'm not doing that one again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the story is interesting. The characters are interesting. It's very surreal. So probably not a book for everyone, but it was definitely a book for me. I liked it. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. It's definitely not my first manga. Let's say, like, if you want to learn about yeah. manga, but as someone who's been reading the genre for, or sorry, the the type of comics for a long time. It's something that I personally also really enjoyed. It's a it's a departure from regular manga in a lot of ways, but I feel like it's a real shining example of what happens in manga that doesn't happen as much in Western comics. And uh, I don't know if you guys will agree, but to me this comic reads more like an epic poem than a novel. Interesting. Something about the pacing and the dialogue and the style that everything is presented in to me uh, presented in to me reads more like poetry hmm. and it's something i found really meditative and something that was really I, I could get absorbed in and i really enjoyed it i really like that way of framing this comic yeah. <laughs> I, I really like that angela <laughs> that's a nice that's a nice way to put it yeah um yeah well i i think i'm going to be kind of the dissenting voice then in light of all this positivity because i I don't know. I maybe I think part of it is maybe I was in the wrong headspace because I actually had a lot of trouble getting my hands on this book. Um, I couldn't find it for sale at any new or used bookstore. I ordered it from Amazon and that got delayed. And uh, getting it even from the library uh, took took some time. So I was a bit I was a bit rushed in in reading, and I feel like maybe this is something to really chew and savor more than to like plow through and i mean the original format was it was in a like a telephone book digest uh uh manga when it was originally printed so it would have been small little chapters like each of the um and i do like what they instead of calling it a chapter the way they call it a skirmish yeah skirmish skirmish yeah i love that and i think if i had experienced this book as like one skirmish a week or one skirmish a month, um, I think I would feel differently about it. And I think in a way, um, forgetting some of it and just having a vague feeling of it and then reading the next thing, I think would actually enhance the experience where reading it in its entirety, um, some things felt like a little rushed and, um, and there were parts that I just, I kind of was feeling like, get to the point was I guess like my kind of <laughs> gut reaction to some of it. And I know with manga, a lot of it's about it's about the journey, not the destination in a lot of cases. And I will say, like, it's a beautiful journey. Like, I think the art is gorgeous, and I really like... I like that it's surreal. Um, I actually was reading at a coffee shop when I met up with um, with a friend, and he picked this up and was immediately like, what What is this? Uh, is this a manga? No, they don't draw things like this in Japan like that. Like, this isn't a traditional manga style. So, I mean, I think this is really a nice reflection of independent manga, sort of kind of being not your traditional manga, kind of being its own thing. Um, but uh, I think one of the first notes I made to myself was I actually uh, said I didn't think that this was well translated. 
Hmm. Um, I felt like maybe the translation was a very literal translation, and I wish that it could have had a treatment like what they did with Princess Mononoke, where like they had an American or sorry a British author, you know, Gaiman go through the translation and kind of rewrite it to be tweaked a little more to English-speaking sensibilities. Did they do that and, for the anime or? Yeah, for the Princess Mononoke anime. Okay, yeah, Neil Gaiman that. wrote this final script. Oh, wow. So they translated it, and then he wrote the final draft so that the words just feel natural to an English speaker. And I recognize that, especially with White's dialogue, it is stylized. Like, he is meant to speak in a very particular way that informs his character. But I felt like even the Yakuza were sort of speaking in a way that just felt a little stilted. Like, everyone just sort of didn't quite... I don't know, everyone felt like they were sort of speaking in a dream fugue or something, which is maybe maybe intentional, but I I don't know, I guess I just, it didn't quite connect with me um, until about the middle, and I would say, like, once it got to kind of the climax, um, I got a little, I got more invested in it, but I, I think this was definitely, like, a, a hard read for me. So, so that's, I don't know, I'm, I'm the, that's my dissenting opinion, I guess. <laughs> It's okay. We can all have different opinions. Um, yeah, I I quite enjoy this book. Um, I it just sort of like hits the right like surreal, almost grotesque, nonsensical sensibilities that appeals to me. Um, like Matsumoto is a phenomenal artist. Of as we've said, like the perspective is so wonky throughout this book, but in such a decided way that it's like really unsettling but also just like creates this amazing atmosphere like it's almost like you're looking through a fisheye lens in mm -hmm. a lot of the panels in this subtle way that i i really like so it sort of puts you um a little bit on edge while reading it just like something slightly wrong mm. um i i think we all have flopped versions of this which means that um in the production of the manga because uh, the Japanese text, you know, goes uh, right to left instead of left to right. Like, we read, uh, when they translated it, they took this manga and flipped the pages so that it would read left to right, which is, um, personally, I really don't like that yeah, as anyone a translation decision. Like, um, I think it just sort of, I mean, it, obviously this book still reads, like, really well, but I... I personally just, you know, for whatever reason, prefer it in its original sort of format. And while I was reading it, I was thinking, I really wish I could see an untranslated, unflopped version, because I also just wanted to see how the sound effects were drawn originally and stuff. And then I remembered that past Kathleen was a good, uh, a good pal. And actually, uh, I picked up a copy of the third portion of the book, untranslated, um, and like, in the sort of original format when I was in Portland two years ago, and it's been sitting on my bookshelf ever since, just waiting for the day that I was reading Tekong King Creek, going, you know, I wonder what this looked like before it was flopped. How are they flopping this? Like, did they do every panel? Did they do some of the panels? So I was comparing those as I was reading through the last part of the book, and it was interesting because they didn't actually flip all of the panels. Sometimes oh, weird. there was a, at least one sequence where um, they they kept it the top half of the page because it was two atmospheric shots in the same format. So, like, the panel that was on the left in the Japanese was still on the left in the English. Um, so you were reading them reversed from how they were intended to be read. And then the mm. panel on the bottom was flipped because it had two characters speaking. That's 
that's so funny because I did pick up. So there's a very distinctive birthmark, right? And black mm -hmm. and white. So black has the scar and mm -hmm. white has a birthmark, but they're under the same eye. And I noticed in some of the panels that that eye would shift. <laughs> and in some of the illustrations too as well. And they they even flipped a bunch of the title pages where I was like, oh, you didn't, I don't think you needed to flip that. Like, <laughs> you could have kept it. I don't know. It just may be like the actual production of the book that I take a little bit of issue with, but the actual book itself, the story, the art, um, is really I engaging and, and interesting and kind of a little bit like a fever dream, just a little mm -hmm. bit, <laughs> oh, yeah. but in a good way, like yes. the good kind of fever dream. So can we talk a little bit more just about the art? Yeah. So uh, that aspect that you mentioned where it's like a fisheye lens, I would agree with that. So the perspective is, it's like in every single panel, the perspective is warped somehow. It's always at a very extreme perspective, even if it's just a headshot or, you know, a pretty simple panel in, in certain other ways. And for me, the, the impact that that gave to me was it gave the whole reading experience a certain sense of speed. So it felt like, you know, you'd have a lot of static shots of people in, in odd poses, but it made everything feel like it was going very fast because the background went, and the perspective on everything was always so extreme. And uh, I thought that was a really interesting choice. And the other thing was that really struck me about the art was the way that the backgrounds were presented and rendered. So not only are they in a weird perspective, but they're kind of deliberately wonky, right? Yeah. Where like buildings are going in odd orientations. And to me, I felt that was really evocative of what it's like to be at the ground level of a really big city, especially a really big city that's as dense as a place as Japan, where you feel like everything is towering above you and almost crushing you. And, uh, yeah, it's very sort of oppressive. It surrounds you on all yeah, sides. It's engulfing, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what the impression the art gave to me. And it took me a while to wade into, like, it took me a while to acclimatize to this art style because it is, it is a little strange, but I really came around to it. Uh, it didn't take very long, but I, I really came around to this work and it was really interesting. Uh, what else is interesting to me about it? I'm sorry, I'm a bit rambling on, but there's a lot to take from this art, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Is that there's no variation in line width. Hmm. So hmm. it's all done with like a, a very consistent line width, which is a very deliberate choice and lends itself to a lot of little detail. But because there is so much detail, uh, it, it, it compounds that effect of everything feeling kind of dizzying and dense. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. actually one panel, and oh, I, I didn't write it. it down. Yeah, you know I what I'm talking it. about. Yeah, there's one, one panel in the entire book that's done with a brush, and then there's the title page of Skirmish 27, Kid Out of Control, wow. is done with a brush. And it was really jarring, because I was like, oh, oh, that's really interesting. This is rendered completely differently than the rest of the book. And it's, um... Is I, it near the end? Uh, yeah, I think it's when, um, Black is fighting with, like, the butterfly dragon curly guys. You know okay. you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The big three mean guys. Yeah. There's butterfly dragon and tiger. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, he's like fighting with them, and it's, it's a moment of impact uh, where, like, a hit, a, a blow is landing, and, um... Oh, wow. It's, it's rendered in, in a brush, and it just... I couldn't figure out why it was done that way. Maybe it was just like a whim. Maybe it was uh, intentional for everything. A everything reason. in this entire book is a whim, but it's <laughs> at the same time intentional. Well, how yes. did you how did you then feel about the color pages? Because I feel like those also uh, had a little more of a painted, uh, a little bit of a softer feel compared to uh, hmm. like the, the the black and white pages. Yeah, those are kind of interesting. I kind of I just know. glossed over that because that's a thing that happens in manga sometimes. Yeah, that's how I interpret it. If you're lucky enough to, well, yeah, no, it's like your 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 story is the first story this month, so you'll yeah. do yours in color. 
Yeah. yeah. Next it's, month it'll be in the back of the book. Like I didn't read too much into that. It's not anything that was used for any story impact, right? right? And so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they were nice. I liked that they they were kind of pencil crayony. Yeah. Mm. Interesting yeah. color choices, Apparently. though. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It's so it's actually really strange to see it in color because the the choice of color is so wacky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, it's a really unsettling like bluey palette. And then one of the one of the characters like turns blue at one point. Yeah, oh. the Yaksa guy is like yeah. blue in well, that, that scene. That in was bed. intentional, though. Oh yeah, that's when he finds out his girlfriend's pregnant, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, emotional reaction depicted yeah. by color, yeah. just for no reason, yeah, just because. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, no, looking I, at I this, preferred in black and white. Look, he's he's a talented artist. Like, oh yeah, the the art is really amazing. Um, I gotta say, looking at the original here that, that Kathleen brought, where it's not flipped and slightly smaller, feels much better. It's it's way more personable. It, uh, I, I, I like this a lot well, more. This is, this is something that I notice a lot in North American uh, adaptations is, um, first of all, they mirror everything because they want to uh, have it read like a North American book. And sometimes mirroring the art hurts the art. Oh, yeah. Um, and then they redo all the sound effects in English because people can't read the, the katakana, but it's like the katakana sound effects are beautiful compared to what was Yeah, that's English. something I feel conflicted about because someone I'm close with, like, that's one of their day jobs is oh, that, I mean, that that's what they I, do for a living and I think yeah. it makes sense also as, as a reader in a lot yeah. of stories, but it is really nice to see the sound effects as they were originally intended and just how that flows with the yeah. art. I mean, it, it, I guess it's not realistic, and they would have to pay someone a lot more money to do a lot more work. But give them more time. Artistically <laughs> integrate oh, God, the sound yeah. effects a little nicer. Yeah. Sometimes, because I think a lot of this maybe is just you're on you're on a deadline to just get this book translated, and so that, oh, you are. Yeah. Well, uh, yes. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> coming back to what Jeff don't, said don't get, earlier. Don't get me wrong. The people that do the sound effects translation, talented, talented people. They should be paid about twice as much as they're currently being paid. <laughs> Full disclosure, <laughs> this is my roommate we're talking about. <laughs> so uh, I just want to go back to what, what Jeff said about the translation. Um, the tra translation didn't really bother me in this book. Um, I just assumed it was stylized, I think, the, mm -hmm. the dialogue. But for sure, yeah, with other manga that I've read, often the, the translation is the thing that feels, mm -hmm. that, that takes me out of the story. So often the translations are really not that thorough, yeah. not that well thought out, and especially with a comic that is basically poetry. Yeah. Poetry is the single hardest thing to translate. You can never translate poetry word for word unless it's two languages that are very similar to each other. And Japanese and English are not that similar. Yeah, it, it's it's more of an art than a science. You need yeah. to be an artist to translate effectively and have it have the same emotional impact, or as close yeah. as you can get. Mm -hmm. yeah. I always appreciate when they include translation notes at the end of a book. Yes. I find those so fascinating, because yeah. it's like, okay, this is what it was, this is how we would literally translate it, but we chose this route instead, because it sort of, like, is an equivalent yeah. with, like, I find that so fascinating, yeah. and I love when um, a publisher is able to include that in a yeah. printed book that's translated. Yeah, because I sort of, maybe I felt like, maybe there's some moments with, like, the Yakuza that maybe there was, like, a joke or a pun, but it just fell flat because of the English. Yeah. Versus, like, the Japanese might have had a little more of a, like, a snap crackle to the to the dialogue, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, it, 
the other thing I was going to say, like, beyond the flipping and, and the translating of the sound effects, like, this is the other thing I see with a lot of these manga imports, is this this idea that they have to be North American size, too. Because mm. in Japan, every manga is like a little handheld digest. But when they do these collections now, they just blow it up to be gigantic. Like, I just got the Gege Ge no Kitaro, um, like, uh, import, and they did the same thing. They took what was a tiny little novella and like turned it into like a digest volume north american style yeah it's really strange how that impacts the reading experience and bothered me the entire time and and uh as someone who reads a lot of manga that format just becomes so familiar it's it's more or less ubiquitous in japan and or at least of the manga that i've seen mm-hmm. and something about that form factor that size the amount of pages that you usually have in your hand just feels so comfortable and familiar and this book is very large and very heavy, and it was probably one of the biggest things that I struggled with as I was reading this book, is, like, the actual physical dimensions of the book. Yeah, it's, like, the physical reading experience. It's not, it's not like, something you take into the bath and no, just, like, no, no, no. quietly page you. That's, you take it in the bath, you're going to drop it. Like, yeah. um... Uh, something about the smaller form factor feels more intimate to yeah. as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um... Maybe we could talk a little more about the characters and the story, because mm-hmm. I think we've talked a yes. lot about the format, and maybe yes. maybe yeah. listeners are like, you know what, shut <laughs> up about flopping, we don't care anymore. <laughs> what is this book about? Yeah. Actually, um, I have a, a question that I wanted to yes. find in uh, what other people's opinion on, was uh, what did you think of the theme? Because I found by the end of the book, that was what my headspace was in, was like, what does this actually mean? What is the author trying mm. to tell me? Yeah, so what yeah. do you think was the theme? Um, well, I can tell you what I thought the theme was. Um, it felt to me like the theme had something to do with maintaining a balance. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt very, uh, I guess it would be Shinto in Japan. Uh, like, in my head it's Taoist, because that's what it would be in, uh, in China. But uh, the idea that you have to balance good and evil, black and white. Um, yin and yang. Yin and yang, yeah. And... It seemed to me like that that was obviously the, the main thing with the two characters whose names are black and white, so that's pretty... Um, it's a bit on the nose. A bit on the nose, yeah. <laughs> but I think it works. Yeah. Um, but it felt like the entire rest of the story was like that, too, where the, the people who are the bad guys are out of balance. They're clearly out of balance. Like most of the other gangs that we see of kids or teenagers who were roaming this city... Uh, that black and white fight with or compete with or sometimes get along with are always in balance. They're either twins or two people who have similar names that contrast with each other, like chocolate and vanilla. Um, and the the bad guys are not that. They don't come in pairs. They come in threes. Come in threes, yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they're out of balance. Um, and, and they are sort of looking to overturn the order of the entire city by doing something very different with it. And it also felt like the characters who suffered the worst from the plot were the ones who were trying to step out of balance. So either Yakuza, who were trying to suddenly be good, would suffer. Uh, Characters who were suddenly turning bad would also suffer. And the only people who would turn out at the end were either people who were in perfect balance beginning to end, like uh, Gramps is like very centered. He doesn't do very much, but he doesn't, doesn't do anything bad either. Uh, or black and white who balance each other out. One of my favorite lines in the book is when White says uh, something that I don't have the quote. Something to the effect of uh, Black is missing a few screws, but I've got the screws that he ain't got. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That is a good line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I definitely see that's the thing. I think like um, like I said, after the midway point, I was warming up to this a little more, and I, I definitely think that 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 overall theme at the end of just like when white is not there anymore when white gets kind of taken out of the picture temporarily and black is running by himself like he's coming unhinged he's turning into like a feral child mm -hmm. and he's getting way more violent uh and 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 white sort of commenting on that that like he needs me to balance him out the same way like i need him to make sure my shoes are tied yeah, you know? yeah. well yeah like white basically <laughs> can't do anything without black he he's um immobile he's stuck in this room and he can make pictures but nobody understands him he can't act he can't escape he's he's completely on his own yeah uh, i think that's really interesting there was one that's a very clear theme and it obviously really resonated and was really interesting to me but there were a few sub themes that i feel also made an impact on me one was uh the idea of innocence right mm. where these children are you know, it's not their fault that they're homeless necessarily, but they're just kind of in this situation, and they're trying to navigate this world as innocents, even though they're not innocent yeah. <laughs> in any way, uh, as is made pretty clear even very early on. Uh, but the other theme that I don't think was an intentional one, but it's the one that stood out to me, it's the idea of the life of a city, and a city as your home. So a lot of the things that the the kids talk about is how you can't do this to Treasure Town. You know, Treasure Town has to stay the way it is. And it's it was interesting to me because it's something that I hear a lot here in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a city that has changed a lot, <laughs> certainly from it's the time that currently in the middle of change, as yes. most cities do, or and all cities. It's funny because these kids are probably they only have five years of working memory about the city, mm -hmm. which is not a very long time on a city's scale. And so for them to say that the city must stay exactly as it was five years ago is a bit naive and. Uh, but it's something that they feel very strongly about, and it's something that I feel Vancouverites are also very defensive of, right? Mm -hmm. The city has to be preserved in the way that is right and correct, and but it will change. It will change mm -hmm. on you whether you like it or not, and all of a sudden you'll turn around and you're not in your home anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, also, too, the idea that the, the status quo that you're trying to preserve is still very flawed. Like, Treasure Town is not a utopia no. by right. any stretch of the imagination. Well, that, that was actually uh, one of the scenes I really liked was because the, the new Yakuza boss is sort of pushing this idea of all these, like, kind of, like, amusement centers being yeah. built. So they want to tear everything down for these amusement centers to bring in the kids and, and start them young coming in. And so at one point they're going to tear down the, the old strip club. And, like, <laughs> the Yakuza guy is like, oh, but that's, like... Our heritage strip club. Like, where where will the men go for their lap dances if 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 not here? Like, oh no! Like, all those poor strippers will be out of work. I just I love this idea of applying this this gentrification theory to like the old the ye old strip club and like no, it's gonna get replaced with a Chuck E. Cheese. It's oh. terrible. Yeah, they, they do the same thing here. There's a song oh, yeah. called "The City Living It Up Is Ugly." And uh, there's a line in that song about them covering up the Bo the Bomax sign with the Toys R Us sign, which is something that happened on Broadway. But it's like, oh, yeah. the Bomax sign is, I, I don't care. Like, I moved to this city when I, uh, maybe like 10, 15 years ago, 
It means nothing to me. It's not actually that noticeable. <laughs> Objectively, who cares? Or like it's almost idea. even like slightly more worse interesting. Toys R Us sign over top. No, of for it. sure, absolutely, of course. <laughs> I don't know. My mom and I, like, when I first moved here, we were like, "Oh, that's interesting." They kept the original sign there. Like, that's a really interesting, like, sort of dynamic there. Yeah, and um, I can tell you it's because there was some historical society <laughs> trying to preserve the Bomax sign, and like the whole concept of. Historical neon is a little bit mind-blowing to me. I'm, I'm a big fan of historical neon, actually. Oh, yeah. uh, not yeah. such a fan it's, of that sign in particular. It's, it's just not too, the best it's example. It's just too recent, Angela. Like, give it time. <laughs> time. There was, uh, oh, well, this is just a quick sidebar, but there was, um, I was listening to someone who was like a, a building historian, and he was talking about different architecture examples in Vancouver. And he, he was pointing out the different uh, you know, decades that you can see represented in different buildings, and he made the comment like, um, "Children always hate their parents and love their grandparents." In mm -hmm. reference to different buildings, so you know, we see these modernist, like simple glass and and concrete structures as these eyesores that we want to tear down. But then we love all these like Art Deco like buildings from the '40s. But you know, people from the mo like modernist times would have been like, oh, get rid of all these over-ornate buildings and just put up some concrete and glass and just, just clean it up, you know? Yeah. So it's like, when it's too close to you, you don't appreciate it. You need that time to pass. And then when it's been like 100 years, you're like, oh, no, that building is... Look at all that neon. You don't see neon like that anymore. Preserve it. Because like, uh... if we tear all the neon down, it's going to be all gone. We're never going to have any of it, right? <laughs> if they'd done that with all of the... But see, I'm just saying, if they'd done that with all the Art Deco buildings, we wouldn't have any Art Deco buildings. That's true. There was, art, there was a generation... There was an art... Neon an... only hums here right next to it. <laughs> yeah, but fair it's enough. it's everywhere. <laughs> I'm not saying we need to preserve all of it, but, I am. you know... Whoa. Okay, neon themes. Let's, let's talk right, about sorry. themes in Tech on Kinkri. Hey! Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, neon is a very clear theme. This is true. This is this related to theme. The, theme the, adjacent. The, 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 I really think you hit it on the nose with the theme of balance. I think balance is a big part of that. And and friendship. And just like mm. needing, needing someone to center you. And no one person being uh, fully functional by themselves. Right? Like black doesn't work by himself. White doesn't work by himself. The Everyone in the city needs each other for the whole city to be functioning. Like, you can't just function as an island, right? Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because you don't really see the consequences of Black functioning by himself until White leaves. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, like, while he's there taking care of White, he seems to have it pretty together, but as soon as White goes, it gets a bit off the rails. Oh, yeah, quite off the rails. He becomes the Minotaur. He does. That, I really Spoiler! Liked. That I liked. <laughs> I liked the Minotaur. Yeah. I thought that was yeah, really well done. Yeah. Um, Plus, yeah. Uh, just the 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 choice of a minotaur as the ultimate, um, I guess the ultimate evil, where you are the the center of the labyrinth. You're the one at the center of this city who can destroy everything. Like that mm -hmm. that was a really interesting choice. Yeah, and I really like the way it was drawn as well, mm -hmm. with the this kind of cow's head, mm -hmm. cow's skull, right? Yeah. As, as a mask, and it was, it's a really cool looking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really yeah, there's point. like a nice shot where it shows the close-up of the skull eye socket with um, the black's eye peeking through. Oh, that and was like a scar. beautiful moment. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I really liked that. Yeah, yeah, it was really it was well 
again, really well drawn. Um, but I don't know, it's funny, even just like from beginning to end, you can sort of see, as you hear my pages flip, I mean, you can just, you almost just see from like the first couple pages, it's more simplistic, and by the end, there's like a lot more detail. Yeah, there's the a cross lot more hatching, hatching. and yeah. Like, you can really see the artist growing in the process of making this. Like, look at that page. Like, oh my god. We, we, can't, we can't see that page. It's a podcast. Sorry. You guys can see it. You could have responded. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyways. It's, like, there's, yeah. It's, it's good. And, like, it's good. I, I was thinking also, as I read this, the, the art is very Brendan Graham-esque. Actually, actually yeah. that is... I was actually meaning to, to bring this up earlier. Um, I... Am willing to bet money that Brandon Graham has read Tech on King Creed, and <laughs> probably this is one of his favorite books because this felt very King City to me. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, the city, agree. the city of Tokyo, is pretty much one of the characters in this story, and it has a lot of these incidental kind of background details and touches that really inform the sense of this. Or it's not, I guess it's not the city of Tokyo, but Treasure City feels a lot like Tokyo. It has the right kind of little accents and, and you know, background, uh, like, advertisements and, and signs and graffiti. Um, and, and Brandon Graham injects that into his work. And he has that same kind of, like, limited line work. Um, so I, I actually felt like there's a lot of parallels. No, mm-hmm. that's, that's something that I hadn't thought of, but you're totally right. And one of the things that jumps out to me now that I'm reflecting on it is the fact that there's all these little weird animal background characters <laughs> who will often like say something strange or you have the cats wandering in and out that represent yeah. black and white and uh, that's very Brandon Graham-esque mm-hmm. whether yeah. it went one way or the other who knows but yeah. probably, probably well this was done in the 90s so okay. yeah I, I feel like there was some influence there yeah um, oh and Jonathan did you notice the uh, Tezuka reference uh, no I was where. wondering, are you talking about the surgeon? Yeah. Yeah, I was oh, reading right. it. I was I wondering if that, that was. Okay. He's got the black. He's got the black. Yeah, I like, did. I did notice that. Then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read, what is it, Blackjack, but like oh. I recognize the yeah. visuals and like seeing it, I was like, is this a reference to that? I'll have to ask. <laughs> I, I don't know if I would recommend Blackjack for I the podcast. I tried but, reading it and I couldn't get into but it. But it's really I don't get beautifully it. drawn because it's drawn by Tezuka. And yeah. just like when I saw the surgeon, immediately. I was like, oh, well, I'm not a Tezuka. That's cool. <laughs> Have any of you read uh, Tetsuwana Adam, the uh, the original Astro Boy? Uh, a bit of it, yeah. They just re-released uh, on comics Elegy. A, mm. a new translation of the original. Oh, okay. Dark Horse, so that might be an interesting mm. book. Mm. There we go. Okay. Because okay. I, I... Take I it back to the beginning. Yeah. I'm certainly going to read it. Alright. That'd be interesting. Should we... Or do we have any more final thoughts on Tech on King Creed? Recommendations. You know what? I... Despite uh, leading in... Uh, as being like the the, the, the contrarian, um, especially after talking about it more, um, I would recommend this book because I think maybe I just wasn't in the right headspace when I started it. And uh, it's beautiful art. And uh, I think that if you maybe read it slowly, I think you would enjoy it more. I would actually, honestly, I would say if you read Tech on Concrete, I would say read one skirmish and then put it down and do something else. And then in a week, read the next skirmish and just read it a little bit at a time. And I, I think that would be a, a more enjoyable experience, personally. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So that's it's funny how you mentioned that because that is more or less how I read this book. I read it as I was traveling, so I was mm. reading a little bit of it, putting it down, going, moving somewhere else, sitting down again, reading more, and it was uh, it gave me moments to chew on what was happening mm -hmm. in between. And I think it would have been really nice coming out in uh, phone book digest mm. where it's like oh let's check in on the boys this week how are they yeah are still okay how are they holding up <laughs> uh so that's interesting i would recommend this book with a few caveats okay. like i said i think this is a challenging read especially from a format perspective so it requires a pretty you have to be pretty comfortable reading comics you know what i mean like, you have to understand the language of comics in order don't, to be able to follow what's going on. Don't give this to your mom as, like, her first yeah. comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or to anyone as their first comic. However, if you are someone who has read a lot of comics, or if you've never read a manga and you want to see, like, how far things can be pushed in manga, uh, or especially, I think my number one recommendation would be, if you're someone who reads a lot of manga and are looking for something a little bit different within the genre, uh, highly recommend this book really interesting. I love that you can read the whole thing in one book, as big and unwieldy as it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is a, a format problem that the, the Trade Waiters has as a group, that we've <laughs> set up a format for what type of books will work, and it's hard to fit manga into that format. Uh, man like I, At the best of times, transporting manga to the North American market is not an easy prospect, and I don't think our format necessarily makes that any better because we want a single book we can read. So this is the first one we've been, I think all of us have been, or at least I've been trying to think of like, what manga could I pick? Well, yeah. I would say as far as a manga we can cover, I think this was a great recommendation oh, yeah. because so many other mangas I can think of, it would be like, well, you know, it gets really good around the 24th volume, <laughs> uh, but if you don't read the first five, you wouldn't understand how you got to that situation on 24, right. so. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to have to either pick books like this where it has a beginning, middle, end in a um, an inch or less, or... Pick individual volumes that can work on their own, or like a two volumes. I, I or something. have an alternate suggestion. What mm -hmm. if, if we can come? It might be difficult for all of us to come to an agreement. Uh, if we can agree on one series, if we can invest in the purchase of the whole series and kind of pass it among ourselves, and slowly mm. work through the whole series. I did. Uh, this is sort of future Trade Waiters episodes, but we have talked about at some point doing longer, like, multiple episodes with a longer series. Yeah. So I think at that point we'll be able to bring some more manga in, yeah, for sure. I always, I always more manga. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, it would be a good time right now if we had an email address we could tell our listeners to send messages to if they, they could tell us what they would like to hear, but we don't currently have that set up, do There's we? this comments. You can put comments. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah right, in, right in the comments, then. If, you, if you'd like to hear us do, like, a whole series, and if you have any suggestions of a series, maybe, maybe put that in the comments. Actually, Monster yeah. might be interesting. Oh, um, I love Monster so much. It's big, though. It's oh, a lot yeah. of books. Mo uh, there are collected volumes. Um, yeah, we should wrap All up, because right. yes. we have five okay. minutes. Um, so, uh, I, I didn't get to recommend it, okay, go ahead. I'm going to recommend it. But, uh, yeah, I would obviously recommend this book. I recommended it. For this and I think after reading this I'm very interested in seeing um, the work that Matsumoto has created since 1993 because that is 22 years ago <laughs> and um, I'd really like to see what he's doing today okay yeah so uh, are we gonna skip shout outs because we are gonna run out of time here yeah I can so just tell us tell us who you are really quick 
Uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton. You can find me at www.lostcitycomics.com. I'm Angela Mellick. You can find my work at wastedtalent.ca. All right, and I'm Jeff Ellis, and you can find my work at jeff-ellis.ca. And I'm Kathleen Gross, and you can find my comics at kagcomics.tumblr.com, which is K-A-G-C-O-M-I-X. Okay, and uh, next episode will be... Uh, it'll be Essex County by Jeff Lemire, and I'll apologize right now that it has a two-inch, two- or three-inch spine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get the book early so you have time to read it. That goes for not just Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their inspiration lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at www.cloudscapecomics.com.